We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Well, good morning. Today is Thursday, June 1st, and my name is Scott Shera. I am Grace's dad. One of the reasons God allowed Grace's premature death was to save others and to wake others up. And he used Grace's death to wake me up. And because of that, I become a full-time advocate. And part of being an advocate is starting this program. And we call it Deprogramming with Grace's Dad because out of all the things that I've learned about myself since Grace died is how programmed I have been. And I'm a Christian, so I see things through that lens. And even in... Uh, the the faith perspective I've been programmed, which I've talked about in other programs. So we always start with something about grace, and I want to do that same thing today. And, you know, God is the reason I am here, but grace was an angel on this earth that God gave us. And so we're going to start with uh, uh, the reason I am here is because of my beautiful daughter, Grace. So there's a video I'm going to have Don play with Grace and me dancing as our intro today. Go ahead, Don. So those of you who have been following know that Grace had quite a sense of humor. We're going to do one more quick thing before I bring in our special guest. So Don, can you bring up the picture of the eggs, please? So Grace and I found this years ago, and I remembered it when I was in the store the other day. And so just take a look at this package. It's uh, You can see, obviously, it's eggs. And then they announce on the package that this is hard-cooked eggs. And then if you look at the ingredients, it says hard-cooked eggs. And then we have to obviously cover allergies in today's world. And so it contains eggs. So we have four references to eggs on one package. You know, we would just, her and I, when we'd see this stuff, we would just howl. So uh, with that being said, can you bring in the guest, Don? All right. So this is a man everybody recognizes if you're in the medical tyranny uh, arena. This is Dr. Peter McCullough. And I he's got a long resume that will be in the show notes. But what I want to do is instead of going through that resume, I want to tell a little bit about this man from a personal perspective. 
So he has probably saved more lives than anybody in the medical freedom movement. He was personally involved with a hospital rescue my wife and I did last November. We've told that story about Robert Pazer. And so how was he personally involved? Well, I met him about a year ago. It was last June in Tennessee. And as God would have it, we rode in the same van together to the airport. So I had a rare half hour one-on-one -on -one with the busiest man on the planet. And he gave me a cell phone number, said to call him anytime. Well, you know, I've had, you know, I had to call him then. And I texted him with that hospital situation and he was um, glad to help. And today he's graciously agreed to be on the podcast. So this event that we both spoke together in June, I just want to tell you a funny story about it. So Kimberly Overton had arranged this event and uh, she's with Nurse Freedom Network. Dr. McCullough, of course, was the keynote speaker. I was just an underling. But when when Kimberly asked me to, to speak, I said, yeah, of course, I already knew Dr. McCullough was going to be there. But she said, Scott, can you come and speak? And I said, well, I have heart disease and you know, I get real nervous in front of people. So, you know, I, I want to make sure that we've got that covered. And so she didn't know I already knew Dr. McCullough was going to be there. And so she says, well, Dr. McCullough is going to be there. And if you don't know, Dr. McCullough is a, a cardiologist. And I said, well, is that all you got? And so, I mean, we we, laugh, we laughed about that. So uh, our title today is Dr. McCullough Answers Tough Questions About COVID and More. And so we're going to jump in with that theme. I just wanted to introduce it with my personal perspective. I see COVID as a red herring with three lanes. Why a red herring? Because it both exposed the real agenda paying attention and now is the there's a focus on closing this chapter and as some form of a mistake so that we can move on and i don't want people to be fooled into moving on so what are the three lanes that i'm talking about the virus lane the jab lane and the hospital murder lane and i want to talk about each one of those briefly with dr mccullough and get his perspective so the opening question i have is do you believe covid was or is a virus something else and why? Well, Scott, thanks for having me on the program. I, I think this type of review is worthwhile. You know, former NIAID director Anthony Fauci and so many others, vaccine developer Peter Hotez at Baylor in Houston, they are all telling us there's going to be another pandemic. I mean, they are actually anticipating this uh, with great uh, uh, zeal, it seems like. So we should take them seriously. Uh, recent papers suggest if there is a next pandemic, it will be another viral respiratory illness. And the reason why is that um, it would actually have to take a very contagious virus to get the whole world sick and spread through the air. There's just no other way to, to have a pandemic outside of that. So uh, it's good to go through this exercise. SARS-CoV-2 is an RNA virus. Uh, it is related to SARS-1 and the MERS virus, the Middle Eastern uh, respiratory virus. It has been isolated. There are standard virology cultures that have been done. The virus has been fully sequenced. It's 20, uh, roughly 29 proteins are known. Its full genetic code is known. And, and so, no, it's a real virus. Now, uh, all experts agree from the congressional uh, select panel on the coronavirus origins. All experts and our agencies agree that it was engineered in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And so that's now, that's now acknowledged by the National Security Administration, the FBI, Department of Energy, 
NIH, uh, CDC, former director Redfield. And, and that's an about face, by the way, uh, at the beginning of this year, the official government narrative was that it came from nature. And just the fact right. that all of our government agencies now relatively suddenly admit that it came out of the Wuhan lab and, and that the, there's been a demand to declassify the US documents implies it was a US product that was created in the Wuhan lab. So then, you know, the, the elephant in the room question is, was it created on purpose? What's your reaction to that? The National Security Administration on its website says that it's not an intentional biological weapon, uh, that it's not. Uh, they don't give the information on how they determine it. Now, there are two papers, one by two by Yen and one by Farkas, published in Military Medicine, that has concluded that SARS-CoV-2 meets all the criteria as a designer biological weapon. We know in the seminal papers describing the creation of, of SARS-CoV-2 by Ralph Barrick and Vineet Manicheri, published in Nature Communications and the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, those two papers outline the creation of the virus, the chimeric virus, and at the same time countermeasures which are monoclonal antibodies and vaccines. And so if, if a virus is being created and then a solution is being created to its creation, one could make the inference that in fact, this is all intentional, making something harmful on offense and then making some defensive products. And that would all be in the sense of military biological warfare. Excellent. Excellent answer. I mean, I've looked into this quite a bit, even though that's not the lane I'm in. A you know, I've got to be versed in everything uh, relative to this because I'm I'm on the air, you know, not as much as you, but a lot. Uh, I want to switch gears to the second lane, which is I'm calling it the jab lane. You can call it the vaccine lane. I don't want to call it a vaccine because it gives us too much credibility. But you know, I'll, I'll share why because we've had some. People doing a lot of research. So, Don, can you bring up Karen Kingston's Substack? And you'll see on her Substack, uh, she calls the mRNA vaccine a manipulative lie, and I agree with that. Uh, the you know I've heard you now recently on X22 and Diamond and Silk talking about uh, the vaccine and getting your body rid of the toxin, and you really did a, a nice job on X22. This is from April discussing the vaccine agenda. In fact, you called it a human disaster and called out the corrupt collusion. So I want to just play a little clip from that interview, and then we'll talk about it for a minute. So this is uh, from the X-22 interview you had in April. Go ahead, Don. All forms of treatment, everything from nasal sprays to hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, Paxlovid, monoclonal antibodies, they were all undermined. They were mm. all undermined. And they were undermined, I believe, for a reason, to advance the vaccine agenda. The uh, Biden White House and HHS had a program called the COVID Community Core Program. Billions of dollars floated out to promote and then ultimately force the vaccines uh, in industry, through healthcare systems, churches, community groups, sports teams. Uh, and part of this agenda was to squash any hope on early treatment in order to promote the vaccines. Those who were most aggressive in impeding early treatment, let's say the American Medical Association and the pharmacy boards, 
those were the ones who were most uh, uh, enthusiastic about promoting the vaccines, and they benefited from it. Do you know the pharmacists who denied ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, they were actually benefiting from administering vaccines financially. We found out that the doctors were receiving large bonuses from insurance companies. For instance, Blue Cross Blue Shield Anthem had a program. Typical doctor would have 2,000 patients in their panel, easy. The doctors were getting a quarter million dollar bonus payments from the insurance company if they hit vaccine quota targets. This, all this money flowed from the federal government through these various entities, and then they financially rewarded those who were executing this deadly and uh, really horrible vaccine agenda on America. I thought this was one of your best interviews. I really liked it. I want to just drill this down a bit before I ask my question. So for everybody who wants the link to that interview, it'll be in the show notes. I want to frame this next question in light of the Brooke Jackson case. So Brooke Jackson filed the False Claims Act against Pfizer. She worked for Pfizer, realized they didn't do any testing. So she files the False Claims Act. That case ended up being thrown out and now it's under appeal. But the claim was was obvious. And what was most surprising about it is the U.S. government came in in October of 22. And I'm going to read something. This is from page 10 of the government. It's called the Government Statement of Interest Supporting Dismissal of Brooke Jackson's False Claims Act Case Against Pfizer. So when Pfizer responded to the uh, summons and complaint, their answer was we had no responsibility to do testing because we have a con an OTA and other authority agreement with the Department of Defense that said we're only supposed to produce a prototype. It's not a vaccine. So now the government comes in and says, quote, in short, the complaint does not plead factual content to support a conclusion that compliance with the clinical trial protocol or regulations was necessary under the contract between Pfizer and the Army, such that clinical trial violations would give rise to a claim for express or implied certification liability. So that document will be in the show notes for those of you who want to read the entire thing. The document is proof positive that the jab was never a vaccine. And 70% of the United States has been jabbed based on a complete lie. So was this a bioweapon or simply a response to increased profits for the medical industrial complex? What is your opinion? You know, that piece that you um, had on Brooke Jans- Jackson and the court's response does affirm that the vaccine program was a military program. And uh you know, the U.S. is considered COVID a national security operation as if, you know, we've been invaded by a virus that is our military threat, if you will, is the virus. And so everything done to manage the pandemic has been considered a military countermeasures as it would under the, the CARES Act, which was written in 2005, I believe. So the vaccines are considered a countermeasure. And, and as that court document states, that uh, that Pfizer had no obligation to have good clinical trial conduct with its agreement with the military because right. the military was involved in vaccine development. So we have a, a corruption from the very start. That's why Kingston, who's a former pharmaceutical executive, has really brought forward 
Kingston and uh, Brooke Jackson have brought this out, that uh, it, indeed there is corruption because it's not standard biological or medicinal pharmaceutical development with the FDA. The FDA is in a sense uh, just just choreography. This is a industry military program. Well, I, I think that's absolutely right. Um, you know, history will will obviously shake this out more than we know now, but there are some brilliant minds that are on this and are doing their best to expose it. Unfortunately, the propaganda has us such that, you know, we can't get this to the mainstream. You're one of the few people who gets to break into Fox. Uh, you know, they're mainstream, but hardly anybody is breaking into the mainstream. So we can't get this data out. And, you know, that that's part of the, that's part of the problem. You know, we have, uh, Satan has sold one of the big lies, which is that we are inherently good. So people can't get their head around the fact that our country would ever develop a bioweapon to kill us. And, you know, that, um, you know, that lie is, it prevents people from seeing what's plainly right in front of their eyes, but then the propaganda prevents us from getting it out. Uh, you know, here's another uh, excellent researcher, Sasha uh, Ladapova. She, she laid this out, which I really like. So Don has up on the screen right now, a substack from Sasha Ladapova done last week. And I think she does a great job framing uh, how we should look at COVID and now they're introducing Marburg, even though you'll see by what I'm going to read that it was introduced uh, quite a while ago. And so I'm going to read from that substack. She says, yet as the Federal Register shows, we have had a Marburg epidemic in the U.S. since December of 2020. The PrEP Act declarations and emergency use authorizations remain in place for both COVID and Marburg to keep the money and weapons and PSYOP cycles flowing. It begins to make more sense if mentally one stops thinking about COVID and Marburg as names of microbes and start thinking of them as brand names of weapon systems. So anyway, that I want to talk something a little more positive than this, and that is your interview on Diamond and Silk last week offering help to those who took the jab and have long-term effects of COVID. So Don, can you play that um, short clip and then we'll talk to Dr. McCullough. As a practicing internist and cardiologist, we've been searching for uh, some type of approach that can help people who've had the infection multiple times, that is COVID-19, as well as taking uh, one or more of the COVID-19 vaccine shots because both the infection and the vaccines load the body with the spike protein. That's the spicule uh, on the surface of the, the ball of the virus. That's where all the, you know, all the problems come in with the, with the virus. That's what causes all the symptoms, the, the brain fog and the fatigue and the uh, muscle aches. Uh, and then this, it also causes the serious complications like heart attacks, blood clots, strokes, uh, immunologic problems. And so the spike protein is now known to stay in the body for many months, if not years or more. And so the Japanese led the way on a discovery called natokinase. Natokinase is a natural enzyme uh, that is derived from the fermentation of soy with a particular bacteria called Bacillus subtilis natto. The Japanese have been eating natto 
for about a thousand years for its health benefits because it has benefits for cardiovascular health. And it's been available as an oral supplement for a couple of decades. So we know it's safe and we know uh, that it has cardiovascular benefits and that it's a, it's a form of a blood thinner. As, uh, but the unique finding is three studies now show it nearly completely dissolves the spike protein, either uh, in what's called cell lysite miles or, or even on the surface of the virus. It's very effective in doing so. The spike protein appears to have a vulnerability for the specific enzymatic activity of the natokinase. And so now the most widely used approach is to use spike support. And that's offered by the wellness company. It features the highest quality natokinase, all sourced in the United States, plus some other ingredients which, which block some of the spike protein injury to cells and tissues, including uh, selenium, uh, black sativa, uh, uh, extract, uh, Irish sea moss. Uh, you'll see, uh, you know, the, the additional ingredients. It's a completely natural product. Far and away, uh, it's what people are turning to. And I can't make any therapeutic claims because the human large randomized trials haven't been done. But I can tell you anecdotally, we're using it widely in practice now. And okay, so I've seen these spike proteins on blood slides already personally, and. It I mean, I have a hard time wrapping my head around it because so apparently COVID is causing these spike proteins, but also the jab is causing them. So can you can you help me understand what's going on with these spike proteins before we drill down the the recommendation? It's true. The coronaviruses have on the surface uh, a whole bunch of spines, little spicules. That's what makes the corona appearance. They're called spike proteins. And it turns out these proteins, uh, they're the ones that cause all the damage. Without a spike protein, the uh, SARS-CoV-2 virus would be in, uh, innocuous. There are about four beta coronaviruses that we can get as common colds. They're innocuous. They don't have virulent spike proteins. The spike protein was manipulated by Dr. Ralph Barrick and his team by contract through the EcoHealth Alliance in the, in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. So it would actually dock into a human ACE receptor and then invade uh, human cells. That, that's really the innovation in terms of SARS-CoV-2 becoming a biological threat to populations. And boy, was it. What we've learned of this spike protein, because it's so unnatural, it's not broken down very easily at all. And uh, Bruce Patterson at DX, a pathologist formerly at Northwestern and Stanford, showed that the spike protein is inside white blood cells at least a year and a half after severe infections. Uh, he's shown in those who've taken the vaccine, the whole spike protein, not even fragments, is in cells easily up to nine months. That's as long as we've looked. It may be longer. So that means everybody who gets severe COVID and then gets vaccines, they're getting progressively loaded with the spike protein. The vaccines provide the genetic code for the spike protein, so the human body reads that code and then produces this lethal protein for an undetermined period of time and an undetermined quantity. So it's a very risky type of proposition to give genetic code to the human body, particularly when we don't know what's gonna happen and particularly to two thirds of the world's population. This was a gamble and you know, I'm the only public figure who in writing in a prominent journal questioned this August 7th of 2020. And I wrote an, an op-ed in The Hill called The Great Gamble 
of the COVID-19 pandemic. I recently asked my Twitter following, which is huge. I said, did any public person at that time question the vaccines in writing? And then I got some answers. Well, so-and-so mumbled something. No one, you got the single person in the world who put it in writing ahead of time, questioning whether or not this was a good idea. Yeah, I, I, um, I, yeah, anybody who's paying attention is so thankful for you speaking out early on. It, it, um, how did you see that? I mean, were you awake to this beforehand or how did you, what caused you to see this ahead of time and speak out? I had the first, one of the first FDA new drug applications to try to prevent uh, SARS-CoV-2 infection in healthcare workers. I was a co-principal investigator on the Modulon vaccine program the overall principal investigator on a, a rematchaban uh, a, a program. So I was already far along in terms of SARS-CoV-2 understanding research. Uh, I published papers on how the spike protein damages red blood cells and causes red clotting. So when the vaccines were proposed as an unrestricted dose of genetic material that would uh, allow uh, spike protein production in the body, I thought this was an incredibly dangerous idea. It's very different than giving a limited amount of protein or very different than giving a killed virus. The genetic vaccines were a terrible idea. Anybody who claims they had anything to do with the development of these messenger RNA vaccines is really in a line of culpability because it was a bad idea from the start and I called it. Yeah, thank you for doing that. So this spike support product, um, I've been on natokinase for years because I have heart disease and I, I think the product is outstanding. I can see my blood chemistry change based on being on that product and a number of other supplements. So the spike support, are you recommending that as a solo product to our bodies of this toxin or are there other things that people can do in addition to spike support? Multiple preclinical studies show natokinase. Again, this natural enzyme is derived from the fermentation of soy by Bacillus subtilis natto, a particular bacteria that the Japanese have been eating this for a thousand years for its health benefits. They've been using supplements easily for two decades. It sounds like you are as well for cardiovascular disease because it is a mild blood thinner. Uh, right. It's a natural thrombolytic. It also uh, lowers cholesterol and glucose somewhat. And uh, it has a very favorable cardiovascular profile. So three preclinical studies shows it nearly completely dissolves this spike protein. Where human enzymes can't do it, natokinase can do it. So this is exciting. Um, now, I can't make any therapeutic claims because the uh, large clinical trials need to be performed to, to be able to make therapeutic claims. A lot of people are not waiting. And it is the most widely used supplement uh, 2,000 fibrinolytic units uh, or 100 milligrams twice a day is the standard dose. It's been safety tested, by the way, up to 80,000 units in a day. So we're way, way below any safety threshold. Only caveats are soy allergy. And I've had patients with soy allergies, and it definitely will come out with taking natokinase and then bleeding, uh, particularly on aspirin or other blood thinners. So if we're going to do that, make sure the doctor knows about it. Uh, but the spike support offered by the wellness company, I advise that company is a wonderful product. Now, there are other things that don't break down the spike protein, but actually try to block its effect. And they're interesting for a man-made virus and a man-made spike protein. The answers appear to be natural. It's quite interesting. One is bromelain, 
which is a derivative of uh, pineapple. Uh, another is curcumin, curcumin, which is a derivative of turmeric, a, a tuber. If you know about, uh, you know, yellow Indian curry, you know, that's yes. turmeric. Yeah. And then the third one is N-acetylcysteine, which is a uh, antioxidant. Those three appear to be quite valuable in addition to natokinase. Now, people can go nuts on supplements. Some people come in and they're on 20 or 30 and we have to weed through them because some just may not have the biological punch that we really want. But I'd say those three are up there at this point in time. Now, I've tried drugs. I've tried hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin. Uh, people have tried even extended Paxlovid, uh, fluvoxamine, corticosteroids. And it's only in specific syndromes do the drugs make sense uh, or have any clinical impact. So I think right now it looks like it's natural as a remedy for a very unnatural infection and vaccine. Well, it's, it's good to hear that you are promoting the natural way out of this. I'm really glad to hear that. I want to switch gears briefly to this last lane. So this is the hospital lane, and that's the one I'm squarely in. So to frame this lane, the U.S. has the largest number of hospital deaths in the world with COVID as a diagnosis. I've shared this before. We have 1.2 million hospital deaths with COVID as a diagnosis in the 39 months of the COVID supposed COVID era. And that number is, we're number one on the planet of all 200 countries. Number two is India, and India's population is four times that of the United States, and yet their deaths with COVID as a diagnosis in hospitals is only 531,000, less than 50% of, of the United States. These are the type of facts that led me down into a number of rabbit holes and some very deep dives, especially given the uh, med combination that was used on Grace to euthanize her. Ultimately, uh, what that that all that research led me to believe Grace was murdered in April of 2022, and that's why I call this lane the hospital murder lane. These deaths were necessary to fuel the propaganda that led to ultimately led to the jab. So now, as you know, Dr. McCullough, we filed the first of its kind lawsuit on April 11th. We have specifically called out not just the hospital, but the doctors and nurses who are directly involved with Grace's death. And I'm getting some flack on that, of course, which you know I get flack on just about everything that I do, but I'm curious as to your personal opinion. Do you believe that the doctors and nurses should be held responsible for the consequence of following orders. Yeah, there are two, you know, under the 2005 PrEP Act, there's broad liability protection during the pandemic. And uh, in a court case in 2011, 2012, the H1N1 pandemic uh, invoked the PrEP Act and it, interestingly, a, a child was inadvertently vaccinated by a nurse and the parents uh, took the school system to court on this. And it was tossed out because the prep act said, hey, listen, it's a pandemic. Uh, no one can be held liable for anything. It was an innocent mistake. Uh, so it's believed, so the prep act actually legally has been challenged in the past. You know, Anything going on in the hospital, COVID related is gonna be under the prep act. Uh, but I think two things may actually remove that liability that the PREP Act 
uh, provides. I'm not a doctor, so I can't render a legal opinion, but I'll tell you medically. I think the first is fraud, that if, uh, if we were defrauded by anything that was proposed to be done in the hospital, like, like the National Institutes of Health guidelines uh, for the treatment of inpatient COVID. And then number two would be malicious intent, if there was actually right. intent to do harm, if you could demonstrate that. You know, you're not alone. Uh, there's a doctor uh, who's in my circles here in Dallas who had a sister with Down syndrome. She died in the hospital um, uh, in, this, in the COVID era. And then actually famed cardiologist Asim Malhotra had an older sibling who died during the pandemic uh, who had Down syndrome. So uh, you're not alone. We worry about those who uh, have various forms of disabilities in the hospital during the time of the pandemic because they may not be able to guide themselves and even competent adults can't guide themselves when they become sick and hypoxemic. I would say these principles violated the standard of care. First is that all outpatient treatments should be continued. Now, you, you know, I authored the McCullough protocol, which was the first multi-drug protocol published and then ultimately proven in outcome studies as a combination to reduce hospitalization and death. Uh, we had the FLCC protocol and others, AFLDS, but any outpatient regimen should be continued as an inpatient through a process called medication reconciliation. If that wasn't done, a community standard of care which was breached. Another community standard of care is called shared decision-making. That means the family and legally authorized representatives and the patient should share in the decision-making with really everything that's going on with the patient in the hospital. And if those two broad principles were, were broken, if, if not honored, th then you'd have a case there, I think. That, that goes above and beyond any single, uh, any single drug. Uh, COVID-19 is survivable, provided treatment is started early. You know, a recent Rasmussen survey shows that one in 10 of us know somebody who died of COVID and virtually everyone died in the hospital. We had a death, Scott, in my wife's side of the family early on. It was absolutely devastating. So, uh, you know, many have deep sympathy and, and really can understand uh, what you've gone through. And they feel, uh, all of us feel, as if we've been robbed that that things were not done correctly, compassionately in the hospital. And that's the reason why the U.S. leads the world with hospital deaths for COVID. Two unrelated closing questions for you. Uh, the first one is, what do you believe will be the next pre-planned event? I have a Substack uh, out on this about the next pandemic. Many have hypothesized on this and, and in a list of uh, potential threats, almost all of them are respiratory viruses. So I would look for a respiratory virus and uh, something highly contagious. And, and the reason why this is important is it's almost certainly not gonna be contact mediated like Ebola uh, or Marburg or, or monkeypox. It's really gonna be in the air, respiratory. There, the most important knowledge is virucidal nasal washes and gargles. This is so important. I just got a substack out on this today. Dilute povidone iodine, dilute hydrogen peroxide, colloidal silver, xylitol in the nose, spray it up, sniff it back, and spit it out. Multiple products work twice a day for prevention, up to every, eight, eight, every four hours for treatment. 
And then gargles, very important. Pavidone, iodine, regular scope, regular Listerine, they all work. And gargles need to be done as well because the virus lands in the back of the throat. Again, twice a day prevention and then every, up to every four hours treatment. Now, when you gargle, it's got to be a 30-second gargle. If there's another pandemic, and Anthony Fauci says this, Peter Hotez, uh, Tedros at the WHO, they're all saying this. Let's take them seriously. Let's be ready. Every household needs to be ready with virucidal nasal washes and sprays, good background nutraceuticals and supplements, including vitamin D supplementation. And then look for doctors like me to innovate and find a way to treat the next threat. Don't wait and depend on a vaccine. That's been a disastrous approach for the public. Well, I agree with that 100%. We checked out of the conventional medical system on purpose after this realizing, okay, we cannot subscribe to any system that is part of the corruption. So we found a local clinic that is out of the system and we've chosen to go there now. And uh, we also have Christian health insurance now versus regular health insurance because um, regular health insurance is also in on this. You know, they they're want you to follow a, a protocol that's pre-planned and it isn't necessarily for your health. So, you know, taking your own health back is by far and away the most important step, which, you know, I, I just see, you know, this idea of being programmed. We are all programmed to rely on the white coat. And, you know, the white coat has shown that we can't rely on them anymore. So I appreciate well, that. Scott, advice. let me just clarify. You know, it, it, the insurance companies, health systems, universities, uh, government agencies, when there is a declared emergency under the PREP Act and as a national security operation, they will fall under the, the rubric of countermeasures. So yes, I can yes. tell you, I can tell you now the insurance companies are going to say, listen, we were just doing what we were told by the government. That's what the hospitals and health systems are seeing. What people really need to look for is independent professionals that do not come under the coverage of countermeasures. So personally, I've never received a dollar of countermeasure funding. I'm an independent practice. I can make my own decisions. People are going to look for that. You know, there is a national alternative. It's called the wellness company not under any countermeasures, and they're also available too. And, you know, that's conventional doctors, dentists, um, and it's a wonderful, you know, nationwide uh, backup plan. But everybody should have a backup plan and be careful because when countermeasures come, they are government measures. And when they tell health systems to do something, it's like being in a war and you, they have to follow the directions. You framed it perfectly, and that's the that is the warning. Uh, final question before I start going into wrapping things up, unrelated to anything, but I am curious as to your perspective on RFK Jr. running for president. Well, he presents certainly uh, uh, now a wonderful uh, contrast to to President Biden. He's certainly from a storied political family. I know him personally, and. And, and people in his uh, social circles. You know, politically, uh, I'm an independent, so I, I, I vote for competent, qualified people. And, right. and so, you know, I'm unafraid <laughs> to vote for who I want to vote for. So, uh, you know, if we had more independent voters uh, like me, we'd probably be better off. This tribalism, you know, of either being a Democrat or a Republican, I think has hurt the nation greatly. We need a lot more independence, people who, who are discerning, who can think for themselves. But, um, 
Kennedy offers a, a, a contrast, certainly, to uh, the incumbent. And uh, it's so interesting because the far left now is actually advocating for the restriction of civil liberties. Normally, they're, they are pro-freedom, and, and now the extreme left is anti-freedom. Uh, the the uh, right, the Republicans, um, many of them are part of this uh, biopharmaceutical agenda. We saw this recently in Texas where they just impeached um, the uh, uh, Attorney General Paxton. Right. Paxton, and you know, he was going after Pfizer. He was going after Children's Hospital for Transgender Care. And I think those were the tr triggers. They, they drudged up things in his distant past where issues had already been settled. So I, I, think, um, I, so I think on the Republican side, uh, they're not necessarily pro-freedom or pro-justice either. So in the middle, I think where the independents are is where the action is. And uh, you know, I'm personally uh, open to talking to all the administrations. Uh, many have reached out to me for help. They know I've communicated to the nation on healthcare issues more than any other public figure right now, more than Anthony Fauci or anyone else. I've had more media time, more national TV time. I've been on ABC and Fox and Newsmax, all the major stations. And I think it, I think I'm particularly advantaged because I'm really not part of uh, one tribe or the other. I can give a fair ev evaluation of what's going on. Well, I, I agree. I think it's refreshing that he's in the race. And I, uh, I look forward to seeing how this, this goes, even though I'm not putting any faith whatsoever in politics anymore. I'm done with <laughs> that. But it is refreshing to have him as a candidate because he's, he's, um, he doesn't, you know, when I look at what he's saying, it seems like he is speaking transparently versus having somebody else doing his his talking for him. So it's, it's neat for me to see. So I'm going to start closing. This is a little bit different close than I'm used to. And then after I'm done, Dr. McCullough, I'm going to come back to you for the final word. And this is a little bit longer because we just celebrated Memorial Day this last Monday. And I, I want to talk about that a bit because of something that I just learned the, the week of Memorial Day, and it really put me into a bit of a tailspin. Uh, for those of you who have been following, I wrote a paper called The Second Largest PSYOP in the Last 120 Years, and that was about COVID as, as an agenda item. Well, in that paper, I closed with saying that I believe the that we live in the land of the free and home of the brave is the largest PSYOP. And, and the reason I say that is because, you know, we've, we just celebrated Memorial Day and all these men and women who gave their life, um, we're told that they gave our life, they sacrificed for our freedom. And there is a, a bit of truth in that, but it's, it's frustrating that anybody has to lose their life. But if they lose their life for a lie it, as part of an occultist game, um, it's, it's really no good. And the story I want to share right now, Don's going to play a clip. This is of the USS Liberty. Uh, somebody shared this with me last week. And so then I have a complete description of the event that will be in the show notes if you want to dig into this more. But this, this really, this shook me. So then as we were preparing for Memorial Day, I just thought through all these people who have lost their lives under the guise of freedom when really what they want us to do is to be slaves. So we'll play that. And I'm going to say one other thing before coming back to Dr. McCullough. Go ahead, Don. June 8th. 
As I've been waking up, I realize almost everything I have believed is a lie, but there's one thing that isn't, and that is Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again on the third day so that those who believe will be reconciled with the Father and have eternal life. What is being spun right now, there's an anti-establishment crew that is spinning a another lie and they're wanting us to believe that they can fix all the problems that we have without recognizing the fact that we got here through rejection of God. And I don't want anybody to be steered into that. The missing link is repentance. God expects repentance and then he will do what he always does when we repent. And that is he, he is faithful. Uh, Jesus said, apart from me, 
you can do nothing. And it is important to not fall trapped to the next level solutions that will prey on our desire for security and comfort, especially as things get worse. So thank you uh, for listening today. Dr. McCullough, I want you to have the final word, please. Scott, that video was um, uh, was striking. And I think so many people you know, don't understand that unfortunately the U.S. has been on the wrong side of a lot of geopolitical conflicts. You know, we were told there were weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. That was the whole reason why there was the invasion of the Iraq. It's not the case. Uh, the false flag Israeli operation over the U.S. As liberty. There's been so many lives lost in the nation building of Israel. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, again, the story not fairly told. Roughly about 2,000 Israeli casualties, about 200,000 Palestinian casualties. The Palestinians preceded the influx of, uh, of um, you know, Jewish people from Europe uh, coming to Israel after World War II. So they, you know, that it's just one of these very difficult things when you're trying to build a nation and we're no better. Do you know in the 1850s, the, the um, governor of the state of, of Colorado had a policy. The policy was the only good Indian is a dead Indian. And he encouraged citizens to go out and shoot dead as many American Indians as possible. That's us. That's America. Yeah. And uh, and so we have that legacy. And I, I agree with you that we have to go back to our spiritual roots. And we have to understand Christ is our Savior and, uh, and, and carry that above all uh, because no country is immune from wrongdoing. And the United States is deep into wrongdoing with the COVID pandemic, the pandemic response, the emergency countermeasures, and the vaccines. And there's been countless loss of life in your family, my family, families all over the country. And it's up to us to correct it. Wow. Very powerful close. It was a, really a blessing to have you on today, Dr. McCullough. I appreciate you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Further details, we return you now to your regularly scheduled program.